So a few weeks ago, uh, when the Cavs were still playing the uh, Pacers, uh, Indiana Pacers, in the first round of the playoffs, um, it was the Wednesday night game when LeBron hit the game-winning shot. Uh, if you're you watching that game, it was about three seconds left, kind of like last night, a uh, different type of shot, but again, hit the game-winning shot. So uh, a few things you need to know about that uh, night at the O'Connell home. One, Lori was really into the game which is somewhat unusual. Uh, she doesn't really get into a lot of sporting events, but that night, from really beginning to end, she was enthralled with this Cavs game. Second thing you need to know is at the same time as the Cavs game, the Boston Bruins, that's the Boston's hockey team, were playing in game seven of their first round playoff series. And I love the Boston Bruins. I love playoff hockey. So like any good husband, I am flipping back and forth between the two games. So I, I don't know if it was the Cavs or Pacers, call timeout just before when it's like three seconds left, and I flip to the hockey game. So I'm watching the hockey game, and Lori makes the comment. She says, I think we need to get back. Can you mind flipping back? I don't want to miss the end of the game. So I hit the button to send us back to the Cavs game just in time to see LeBron James running down the court and into the arms of his teammates. <laughs> and Lori and I realized in that moment we had missed something pretty big. And as the crowd at the queue is going crazy and confetti is falling to the floor, there is silence <laughs> in our living room. Moments like that, friends, that I'm thankful for forgiveness. <laughs> Aren't you? Forgiveness. We've all done things, said things to another person that we shouldn't have. And all of us in this room, myself included, have probably numerous times, uh, more than maybe we care to admit in our lives, had to go to someone else and ask for forgiveness. A friend, a coworker, a family member. We've had to ask for forgiveness. And today, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And we're not going to talk about it from the angle of asking for it from someone else or even extending it to someone else. That would be appropriate to talk about. And we've actually talked about that quite a bit here at Hope. We're going to talk today about the healing of God's forgiveness and receiving God's forgiveness. And we're going to use Mark chapter 2. It's an interesting story because we're going to watch a man receive forgiveness, God's forgiveness, when he wasn't necessarily expecting it. And he wasn't, I don't think he uh, believed that was his greatest need in that moment, was forgiveness. And you might be here today and you might be thinking to yourself, I don't really need or ex are expecting God's forgiveness. But today, just like this man in the story we're going to learn, a read through in Mark 2, we are all God's forgiveness is available for all of us. Now, as we would think even about someone receiving forgiveness, you would think that would be a moment to celebrate, and it is. But in this story, we're actually going to see as Jesus extends or offers, gives forgiveness to this man, it actually cr creates tension. Tension between Jesus and the religious leaders begins to create tension between Jesus and the religious leaders in this context in the first century. So I want to read the 12 verses we're going to look at today, and then we'll dive into them and see that all, all God has for us. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1. 
A few days later, it says, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, take up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I said to the par- I said, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So we're back in a familiar place here in Mark. We're in a little community known as Capernaum. I want you to see it on a map so you kind of get your bearings as to where we are geographically. Uh, This is the Sea of Galilee, and Capernaum, as you can see, is on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. The Galilee, when you hear he went to Galilee, Jesus traveled through Galilee, it's not describing a certain community, but it's describing a region. And this is the region of Galilee, obviously with the Sea of of Galilee in the middle of it. Capernaum is on the northern side of it. And Capernaum is where Jesus, we would say, was his home base. This was the place that he went back to continually. Even here early in Mark, Mark chapter 1, he was in Capernaum. He was in a synagogue. And if you remember, you hear a few weeks ago, in the middle of the synagogue service, a man stands up and who is possessed by an evil spirit. And Jesus, in the middle of this service, this gathering, sets this man free. And then Jesus goes to Peter, uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, to his home, to Peter, where his mother-in-law is sick. He heals her. And then after the Sabbath is done, uh, all that we're told, the crowds, uh, the people that live in Capernaum and surrounding, bring the sick and demon-possessed to the door, to that house. And Jesus, late into the night, is healing people. And then in Capernaum, there's a, lep- a man with leprosy. We talked about this story last week, a man with leprosy. And Jesus doing something that you would not do, you, you don't do in this culture, you don't touch a leper. You stay away from lepers. You don't touch them. You, you know, if they're near, you might talk, but you don't, you don't touch them. Intentionally put your hand on their shoulder. And Jesus reaches out because he has compassion on this man and touches this man and heals this man. And Jesus said, don't tell anyone what I did. But the man doesn't really listen and begins spreading the word about what Jesus did. And in this context, in the first century, friends, lepers just didn't get well. It wasn't like after a certain ointment or medicine or time or therapy, the leprosy just goes away. 
Lepers don't get well, but this leper was made well. So word begins to spread about Jesus and what's happening. And that's what, what, that background sets up what's going to take place today. Back in Capernaum, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, in the few, a few days later, Jesus entered Capernaum. He's back there. The people heard that he had come home. They just want to share a theory, which is, I think, actually an interesting theory to allow your mind to, to dwell on a little bit or play with a little bit. When it says there that Jesus had come home, um, you could take that a few different ways. You could take that as home, like being Capernaum. This is kind of his home base where he spent a lot of his time, and it is that. But there's also a sense that some have a theory, and that's all it is, a theory. I can't prove it. It's just an interesting theory that this house that we're going to read about today might have been Jesus' house where he called home, where he slept and ate and hung out. This might have been his house. But whether it's his house or not, he is in a home that day. It might have been Simon Peter's house again. It might have been Jesus' house. It might have been someone else's house. But Jesus is in this house. He's in Capernaum. In verse 2, so many, they hear he's back. And because of everything else that happened earlier, so many gather that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he came and he, excuse me, he preached the word to them. So there's so many people that are gathering inside and outside. The sense is you can't even see the front door anymore. There's that many people filling this house. And Mark, when he says, and he preached the word to them, it's basically a shorthand for he preached about the gospel. He preached about the kingdom of God. That's kind of Mark uses shorthand just to describe, preach the word to them. So he's speaking about the gospel. He's speaking about the kingdom and what uh, the crowd set up, what takes place next. In verse three, some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. An interesting detail um, is that this man, we know he, uh, he is unable to walk. There, there's, uh, he's paralyzed, either issues with his legs or back. But it's an interesting detail Mark gives us that he's carried by four friends, four men carry him. And what that detail, the fact that he has to be carried lets us know that this man's case is, is probably the worst case scenario. It is so bad, he can't even crawl to where he needs to go. Many who were paralyzed in the first century, they at least had use of their arms. And they would crawl through the streets to get where they needed to go. This man is so bad that he can't even crawl. But he literally has to be carried by these men, I'm assuming friends, to where he needs to go or wants to go. And these friends carry him. So some men came bringing him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, imagine what it would have been like. We don't know how far they traveled. They might have lived in Capernaum. They might have lived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They might have lived uh, hours away. They might have lived a few minutes away. But whatever it was, they took the time to put their friend on this mat and travel to this house. They heard that Jesus is going to be there and they show up that day and imagine the discouragement that might have filled their hearts as they walked upon that house that day and they realized there's no way we're getting in. There's no way. You can't even see the front door, let alone get in it. I don't know how 
what was decided next, how that all happened. Let's read it first. Since they could not get him, their friend to Jesus, because of the crowd or crowds, they made an opening in the roof. The text in the Greek, which is what this was originally written in, literally says they unroofed the roof. It's what it literally says there. They made an opening above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. I would love to have been a part of that brainstorming session. How are we getting them in? Can't go in the front door. Can't go in a window. I don't know. Maybe we go home. Maybe we go, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll come back next week. Maybe we'll wait it out a few hours. Maybe the crowd will leave. I don't know if it was a couple of them or one of them. I don't know, but at least one threw out the idea, what about the roof? It's like that, like no idea is a bad idea. You know that statement? The roof? What about the roof? And then they're like, the roof. And in that, con- in that place, in that setting, they would have had flat roofs, many with either ladders or staircases that would have gone up on the roof. They did usually many things on the roof of these homes. So these friends decide we can't get them in the front door. But they know we have to get our friend to Jesus. And they go up on the roof and they literally unroof the roof. They take it apart. So much so, so much space that they can lower their friend down from the roof, down to the floor. We need to ask the question that many of us are asking, who's paying for this roof repair? (laughs) Is that covered by our homeowner's insurance? It feels like one of those farmer's insurance commercials, doesn't it? We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. I could picture this showing up in one of those commercials. Here, a man was, a hole was cut in the roof. A man was lowered, and this man named Jesus healed him. We covered it. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it's amazing to think. I mean, Jesus is teaching, like he's talking, and imagine what it would have been like to be in the house. All of a sudden, this debris just starts coming down on you and falling on you and dust, I'm sure, in your eyes. And you're like, what is, I mean, you're, people are like, I'm trying to listen to him. And the, what is, is there a leak in the roof? Like, what is happening? And I, I believe, I mean, I, I sense, my, the way I picture this is as soon as that man started coming, it like just silence. And the man was lowered down to the floor. And then Jesus says, uh, uh, an interesting thing. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he says to the paralytic, Son or child, your sins are forgiven. How does that strike you? Your sins are forgiven. I wonder how it struck or what, it, what the man on the mat thought. I wonder if it almost felt like um, maybe you've had this experience where you get a gift and again, you're thankful for it. But at the same time, you're like, I wonder if there's any more. Like, is there anything else? (laughs) Remember why this man's here. He's here because he can't walk. 
He's here because he had to be carried there. He's here because his legs and his back and his arms do not work. Who knows how long he's been in this condition? It might be his whole life. It might have been the last 10 years, last year. It might have been an injury. We don't know, but he's here because he needs healing. And I wonder if he's like, well, that's nice, Jesus. But what about my legs? And I wonder what have been the thoughts of the men who have their head. I vision their heads like sticking through the roof. We didn't carry him here to be forgiven. He carried him here to be made well and walk. But this is the first thing Jesus says to this man. Seeing their faith, Jesus says to the paralytic son or child, your sins are forgiven. And in saying that, I believe Jesus is acknowledging, he's declaring, is a better way to say it. He's declaring that the greatest need this man has isn't the healing of his legs, but it's the healing of his soul. First and foremost, that is this man's greatest need. Now, Jesus will hear his leg, heal his legs. Jesus cares about the whole person. He cares about, cares about the whole body. He will heal his legs, and it's a demonstration of his kingdom on earth that the lame will walk. It's a picture of the kingdom now and the kingdom to come. But in this moment, before he gets to a healing of his legs, he says, first, I want to heal your soul. When we talk about sin, sin literally means to miss the mark. And the reality is we've all missed the mark as it relates to the call, the invitation to be human. We've all missed it in different ways, but we've all missed what God, the, God's design for us, the way we're to live and the way we're to speak and the, the way we're to act. We have all missed it in different ways, including this man laying on the floor on a mat. Missed it and needed to have his sins forgiven. And that's where Jesus starts with this man. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you would think this would be like, well, that's great, that's awesome. But this statement actually causes tension to arise. And the story picks up in verse 6. Jesus says this. And now in verse 6, we learn that there are some teachers or experts of the law there. It says in verse 6, now some teachers and teachers of the law, this is like all they do is study the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They study the prophets. This is all they do day in and day out. This is their life. So some teachers of the law who got there early, got some front row seats, were thinking to themselves, not out loud, they weren't saying these things, but they're thinking internally. Why does this fellow talking about Jesus talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These experts, these teachers in the law pick up immediately on what Jesus just said. The sense even in the original language, the Greek there isn't, Jesus isn't speaking on behalf of God. He's speaking as God to say, I forgive your sins. Not, I forgive your sins on behalf of God. A priest could forgive people's sins on behalf of God, but only after repentance and sacrifice could then a priest say, I declare you forgiven on behalf. I don't speak as God, but on behalf of God, I forgive you. 
But in this moment, Jesus is not acting like a priest forgiving people on be- forgiving this man on behalf of God, but he's saying, I forgive you as God. I forgive who I forgive you. Forgive your sin. And these experts in the law pick up immediately on what he's saying. They're saying, he's saying he's God. Who does he think he is to say that? Because they know we forgive those who've sinned against us. Let me give you a hypothetical, and that's all it is. This has never happened. Hypothetical. Let's say me, Jim, and Jeff spending time together one day. And in the midst of our conversation, Jeff starts to make fun of Jim's car. It's not fast enough. It's outdated. It's old. Mine's faster. And Jeff just goes on and on about Jim's car. Jim has enough. He's fed up with that. And he kicks Jeff in the shins. Again, (laughs) hypothetical. Never happened. There's never been workplace violence. He kicks Jeff in the shins. And I'm there, and I see it happen. And I, before, before Jeff says anything to Jim, I say to Jim, Jim, just want you know, I forgive your sin. I forgive what you've done. And then Jeff looks at me and says, wait a minute. Your shins weren't kicked. Mine were. I'll decide if I'm going to forgive Jim or not. We forgive those who sinned against us. As far as we know, this man never said anything to Jesus or did anything to Jesus in this moment to cause Jesus to want to forgive him. He doesn't hurt him. But what Jesus says here, he's saying this man has offense against me and I will forgive him. I will forgive him. I will forgive him of his sin. And these these teachers of the law don't like that because they know in that moment Jesus is saying, declaring, I'm God. And that bothers them, that irritates them. And the story continues in verse 8. It says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. This is one of those beautiful moments, I believe, where we see this mystery, and it's a mystery, friends, of the, the blending together, the mystery known, the mystery of God's, of Jesus being fully God and fully man at the very same time here on earth, here in this moment. He knows. They have not said anything out loud. They're thinking it inside. And in this moment, moment, he knows what's going on in here in them. He knows the questions they're asking and he addresses them. Oh, to be a fly on a wall and watch their eyes. How how do you know that? How do you know what we're thinking right now? It says in verse... um, Verse 8 says, why are you thinking these things? What we just read in verse eight, 6 and 7. Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? And it's almost like this riddle. Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. What's easier to say? I don't know if there's a long pause there, waiting for an answer. Like you guys try to figure this out. I'd love to hear your answers. But Jesus says, I'm going to answer it for you. And he says in verse 10, but that you may know, know beyond a shadow of a doubt, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. He has authority. We talked about his authority a number of times already. He has authority to heal. He has authority to call disciples. He has the authority to teach. He has the authority to drive out demons. And he says, I want you to know 
that I have the authority here on earth, now, right now, God's kingdom coming to earth. I have authority here on earth to, earth to forgive sins. I want to prove to you. And he says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. I'm going to prove to you, Jesus says, that I have the authority to do the former, forgive sins by doing the latter. Telling this man to get up, pick up his mat, and walk. I'm going to prove my authority to you. And he does. In verse 12, he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He's forgiven this man's sins. And, God, and what we see here, friends, is a picture of God's kingdom coming near. That here on earth, sins can be forgiven. Here on earth, bodies can be made well. In God's kingdom, both bodies and, and souls are healed in God's kingdom. And again, you would think as this man, who knows how long he's been carried on that mat, but you would think there'd be celebrating and there is a sense of celebration, but there's also a sense of hostility that will continue to rise between Jesus and the religious leaders. We'll continue to pick up hostility between him and the religious leaders. I want to just make two observations because for this man to experience forgiveness and healing in this context Two observations. He needed the assistance of others and there were obstacles for him to overcome. And I think this is where maybe it kind of comes home for you and I. As we think about experiencing God's forgiveness and healing, we need the assistance of others, just like this man, and there are obstacles to overcome. He needed the assistance of others. He was carried, friends, by four of them. We can miss this. I mean, this is an amazing passage about forgiveness and healing, but I also don't want us to miss the fact that he had to be carried by some friends to get to Jesus. He couldn't get there alone. Now, here's the reality. You and I are not being carried on a mat. We can, we can personally and individually get to Jesus to experience forgiveness. We can. The Bible tells us to confess our sins to God, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins. So we can do that individually, alone, no one else around us. But at the same time, the Bible also says we need other people in our lives to help us get to Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Who are the people that are helping, that help carry, not physically, not picking you up, carry on their hip, but they carry you to Jesus? Who are the people that have access to your life, that know the temptations, that know the struggles, that know the patterns, that know um, when you are deceiving yourself? This is, this is why we need other people in our lives, because my, sometimes my assessment of the things in my life that maybe aren't the best isn't usually, many times it's not accurate. We can think to ourselves, I got this sin managed. I have it figured out. I'll take care of it. I don't need anyone in my life. The Bible talks about confessing our sins to God, but it also talks in James chapter 5. It says, confess your sins to one another so that you would be healed. 
That's a picture of being carried by others to Jesus. We confess. Confession means to speak the same. So as God reveals something by his spirit in us, an attitude, a behavior, something we've said, a pattern in our life that's not good, an attitude in our life that's not good, a a practice in our life that is not good, we confess it. We speak it out. We can speak it to God, but at the same time, we can also are encouraged to speak it to other people so they can help carry us to Jesus. And we can experience the forgiveness and healing that he offers. Who are the people that help carry you to Jesus? Sometimes our personalities play into this. We, depending on our personality type, some of us live pretty independently. I don't need anyone. And we might even view um, having these types of friendships in our lives as weakness. I'm not talking about codependency or those types of relationships, but I'm talking about healthy relationships where people have access to who you are. They know you, and you know them. And that's why what Jeff talked about during the announcements about the Walk With Others workshop, that's one of the reasons why this is so important. Disciples of Jesus are not mass-produced. It's not a cookie-cutter approach to discipleship. One pastor said they're not mass-produced. They're always made through life on life. In community, with others, sharpening one another, talking with one another, challenging one another, helping each other grow. Who are those people? This man couldn't get to Jesus alone. And you and I need people in our lives that help us get to him. And it's interesting to me that it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith did he see? It's somewhat of a mystery, I'll be honest with you. My take on it is he saw the faith of the men on the roof. Again, just a theory, an idea. I, I don't know if this man on the mat had ever heard about Jesus or been around Jesus' teaching or ministry the way I play it out in my mind is that maybe these men heard Jesus teach, saw someone healed, and they said, you know what? We have a friend that we have to get to Jesus. Some of us, when we talk about who are the people, sometimes their faith might even be a little stronger than our own. And our faith at the moment might be pretty weak. And that's where we need the faith of others to help carry us. We can get to Jesus about this issue. And I'm going to help you get there. So maybe today you're thankful for those friends in your life. Or maybe today it's saying, I need to start praying about that and working towards that. Because I need people in my life to help me carry, to help carry me and I carry them to Jesus. There, there, this man couldn't get there alone, but there was also obstacles. There are obstacles in this man's way, both external and internal obstacles. Obviously, the, the, the big external one is the crowd. You show up that day and you can't even get near Jesus. 
You're 50 feet away because of the crowds around the house. You can't even get to him. So what do we do? Do we turn around or do we keep pressing in? And they kept pressing in. And then there's the theological debate that erupts. I mean, I, mean, I would have loved to have heard commentary from the man on the mat. What was it like being in there? You're dropped down on the floor. Please don't drop me. Please don't drop me. And they're, he's down on the floor. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then this theological debate erupts about who this guy is. You don't even know who he is. He's just declared your sins forgiven. And now this theological debate erupts and you're like, what is going on? And then Jesus tells him, uh, speaks. All he does is speak. He doesn't touch the man. He doesn't anoint the man with oil. He just speaks and tells the man to get up. The reality is this man has not been healed until he gets up off the mat. When his sins are forgiven, he's still on the mat. But it's not until Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk. That's another obstacle. Let's say this guy hasn't walked in a year, two years, 10 years, ever. I don't know about you, but I'm a little hesitant to try something new or, or something I haven't done in a while in front of a crowd. I don't want to look like a fool. I want to make sure it's going to work. But this man in front of, let's say, 50 people jam-packed in this house and those looking in the window is, is being asked to get up. Will my legs work? Will my back work? Will my arms work? And he gets up and he walks out. I just imagine the crowd just parting and imagine the conversation on the way home. I don't know what the obstacles might be for you. Let's ask the question, what are the obstacles in your way? Your way, my way, preventing you and I from getting to Jesus to receive his healing and forgiveness. Again, it might not be crowds at a house. It might not be a theological debate that is erupting. It might not be our legs, will my legs work, my back work. Those might not be the obstacles for us, and they're probably not the obstacles for us. But I wonder for some of us, based on the experiences of our lives and the messages we've received, based on those experiences, as you think of God's forgiveness, you're like, can God really forgive me? I know other people have experienced it, but could God really forgive me? You might be sitting here today and say, you don't know what I've done. I don't. I don't know what you've done. But what I know about God and his forgiveness is that it is available and extended to all. I don't know what the obstacles might be in your way today, but don't allow them to stop you from receiving, maybe some even for the very first time, the forgiveness of God, to have your sins forgiven. We're going to talk about forgiveness next week from a different angle. We're going to talk about who does God's forgiveness extend to? And we're going to watch Jesus extend it to people that makes many uncomfortable at a dinner table. We're going to talk about forgiveness there. So today, the same forgiveness and healing that this man experienced is available to you and I today. Let's not allow obstacles to prevent us from getting to Jesus but instead, let's receive his forgiveness and healing. And the way we're going to apply this today or kind of live this out uh, even before we leave is we're going to receive communion together. So I want to invite those who are helping serve. If you guys want to make your way to the back and get ready to help transition us.
to communion, I want to talk about the movie Black Panther. That might be one of the weirdest transitions <laughs> ever. For those who haven't seen this, I'm sorry. Um, it's been out a number of months. You've had ample time to see it. Um, but this is one of my favorite Marvel movies, and I'm not here to give commentary on the movie. But, um, and I heard another pastor use this illustration, so this isn't new to me. Um, who can tell me what Black Panther's suit is made out of? Come on. What is it? Thank you. There it is. Yes, vibranium. And uh, so this is Black Panther on the left. That's his sister there on the right, and that's Black Panther's suit. It's made out of vibranium. And in the Marvel world, if you're unfamiliar with the Marvel world, uh, vibranium is the hardest material around. It's the hardest thing they could find. Strongest material. So when his sister designs his suit for him, when Black Panther puts that suit on, she designed it in such a way that he, when he is uh, uh, com combating his enemies, whether he's being shot at, he's hand-to-hand -hand combat, when they hit his suit, whether it's bullets or fists or legs, feet, he absorbs the violence. He absorbs that energy. He absorbs the hate, the violence towards him. And as his suit absorbs it, you see this in the movie, then he gets more powerful and then he's able to send out power from his suit to help defeat his enemies. So let's talk about what that means for Jesus. Jesus talks here about forgiveness. It's kind of foreshadowing what's going to take place on the cross. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he wasn't wearing a suit made of vibranium. He was hanging there as a man and God. And as he hung there on the cross, he absorbed all the violence against him. He absorbed our sin, my sin and your sin, all the sin of mankind. He literally became sin for us. And when he sends things out, it's not power to defeat his enemies but it's forgiveness for his enemies. It's love and it's grace and it's mercy and it's life sent to every single one of us who would receive it. It's available to all of us. Be reminded of his forgiveness that he first absorbed our sin against him and he sends out love and mercy and forgiveness. So I'm going to invite those who are helping serve to pass out the bread. And we ask that you would hold on to this element as we are served today. I just want to encourage you to, we don't get a lot of moments like this in our lives, our weeks, days, where we just have a few moments to be still, to be quiet, to examine our souls and hearts. There might be things that you just did this morning or things you said yesterday that you need God's forgiveness for. He's died on the cross and his forgiveness is available. It's our responsibility today to appropriate his forgiveness into these situations. So I would encourage you before we partake just to take time to allow the Holy Spirit to examine your soul and your heart. Don't allow any obstacles to be in your way. Forgiveness is available for all of us today.